All right, everybody, welcome back to the Hit Factor. We're going to talk about some shooting stuff. Today we have Jason Bradley, Jeff Coffin, and Matt Hopkins. Everybody knows Matt. Matt, thank you for coming on. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. So give us, uh, like, everybody already knows who Matt Hopkins is, I guess. But take us take us back to the beginning. So... I shot with my dad back in like high school and stuff and then didn't really pick up a gun until my house got broken into in 2007. And then once I picked up that gun and bought it and I realized I didn't really know how to use it, I sought out training with a local training uh, outfit or group. And then uh, they invited me out to a competition after the training and I've kind of been competing ever since then. First big match was in the spring of 2008, so 11 or 12 years now. Nice. What gun was it, Matt? What gun did you shoot first? Uh, I started with the Smith & Wesson MMP, and then I shot a MMP long slide or the 5-inch gun. I think it was the MMP Pro then. And then I moved over to CZs in 2010, and I've shot CZs ever since. Nice. Was that USPSA off the bat, or did you start? Did you shoot IDPA at all? Uh, I started off straight in USPSA. I I think I'm pretty fortunate in that aspect. I think I could have been just from knowing what I know now. You know, I could have got I don't know maybe infatuated with another different sport, but I'm glad it was USPSA. Really happy about that. Yeah. Having come getting getting started in my IDPA myself, uh, it, it it was only about six months. May it might have been eight months that I shot before I really started shooting or really kind of got into uh, USPSA. But I had to earn unlearn a lot. Um, yeah. So, um, since we're talking about it, how long did or what did you start out as? What did you get classified? Tell us your your progression up the uh, uh, ranks to the GM. My initial classification was C class, and then. That was in 2007. I did an all-class fire match. 2008, I became a B-class shooter. And then I think I... I don't know when I became an A-class shooter. I think it was 2010. I finished 13th at Nationals that same year in 2010. Wow. And then the fall of... After Nationals 2010... I jumped to master class for like one match and then spring 2011 straight to GM after that. So I think I shot one match as a master and then was a GM right after that. Nice. Dang. Was thir- is 13th the best you finished at nationals? You had a, um, didn't you have one like a year ago or two years ago? It was, was that good? Uh, I don't remember. I think 2017 was my highest finish. I think that yeah. was was that 11th or something. I think it was, I was thinking 9th, but could have been. Yeah, which is a lot, um, a lot more difficult than it probably sounds <laughs> with the it, talent pool. Yeah, and the talents just got even greater. I think the talent pool is deeper now than ever before. So, yeah, especially in production. Would you guys really deep? 
Yeah, would you guys say that shooters are better now than they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Or there's just better, sh- more shooters at the same level, at the top, at closer to the top level? I think there's better shooters now, for sure. I, I think the sport has evolved a lot, especially just in the 12 years I've been in. It's become, I think the easiest way to say it's become faster. Yeah. This The sport has become faster. Shooting's become faster. Just to stay, like, where you were, like, if you were top 16 before, to stay in the top 16 now, it's a different skill level. The skill level's increased. Yeah. So, guys like Ben that have been shooting, and, of course, Ben's, Ben's won nine out of the last ten. Yes. So, is he is he better now than he was five years ago? 100%. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, he just absolutely. Yeah. yeah, okay. Jared and I were talking about that a couple of weeks ago and I was I meant to ask Ben about it. And I never got around to getting talking to Ben about it, but it's just like, you know, it's the football, the old football analogy, you know, you think like could the could the um San Francisco 49ers from like 94 when they won the Super Bowl beat this year's San Francisco 49ers the Montana team. Montana era? Yeah. Yeah. Or he, I was thinking Steve Young, but yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. But but even so, I mean, like, and and I'm a Cowboys fan, but so, you know, the the 90s Cowboys is the last time they did anything. (laughs) Is that team, is that team, you know, could that team hold up to a team today that was top tier, you know? And you kind of want to say, well, yeah, I mean, it's, but then you're like, man, I don't know. It seems like these athletes can do a lot more now than they could. I don't know. So I I think the games changed since then also, right? Yeah. And the USPSA has 100% changed. Like, I remember my first area match back in 2008, drastically different than an area match or even nationals now. How so? Uh, I think I think everything's getting done faster, so reloads okay. are faster, like, draws. Like, I think just the overall stage, and it might not be, it's a 20% increase in draw speed from everybody, but the overall stage is probably some percentage faster and the hits aren't going any worse. Right. Like everybody's getting faster with the same or better points. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, so what are you going to shoot this year? (laughs) It's a good question. Right now I'm waiting to, uh, to hear about world shoot. I have an individual slot right now, and I'm kind of waiting to see if all the team slots are going to be taken for the production optics teams. And if they are, I'll have to decide which division to shoot as an individual. So I'm kind of waiting for that right now. I'll know in the next two weeks. Can you explain that to us a little more as far as, like, I think not so much how you get a slot, but... How once you if you're if you how do they pick the I guess team slots over individual slots? Uh, so 2018 and 2019 US PSA Nationals and the US IPSC Nationals were qualifiers for the 2020 World Shoot. You had to shoot three out of those four matches to be able to get qualified for a slot. And you couldn't shoot, like, production in one, uh, production optics in another, and then open in another. 
you, they had to all be across the same division. So you could technically qualify for two different division teams, like some team slots. And there was a couple people that actually did do that. So they got to pick which team they wanted to go on. And uh, basically USPSA takes the top four in production and they get team slots. And then the top four in production optics, they get slots. Top four in open, all the divisions. Optics yeah. has a heavy and a light in IPSC. So they have a basically steel guns and a polymer gun. So they actually took the top eight from carry optics and production optics and formed the teams off of that. Mm. Nice. No, World Shoot's in Thailand, is that it's right? It's in Thailand this year, yes. Nice. And it's not, it's, I think we'd have to leave Thanksgiving weekend, so it's basically at the very end of the year, no matter where you're, like, geographically located, northern or southern hemisphere, so. Yeah, so if you were shooting right now, that's a pretty hefty season. Yeah, that's why I'm not rushing into this. Like, USPSA yeah. Nationals is at the end of October, so it's it's a long year either way. Yeah. So that's why I'm kind of taking it easy, getting ammo loaded, stuff like that. So, along those lines of, of, of production optics, carry optics, um, so they take the top eight performers out of three out of four classifiers, and then they split them up. Do they, do they let the people split themselves up, or do, does USPSA say, well, you're shooting a Shadow 2, you're going in heavy, uh, you're shooting a Glock, you're going in light? How's that going to I, I think they're letting the shooters choose, and then... If they have six out of eight pick heavy, yeah, they're gonna probably take the top four and say you guys got the heavy team. Gotcha. Then I I'm assuming on this next point is the next two like the fifth and sixth one. If they're like oh I can only shoot heavy I'm not gonna shoot light. I don't know how that'll work, but I don't. You're only gonna be able to shoot light. If you have a light gun, they're not going right. to give you a light slot for with a heavy gun. So, right. I would assume it would go to the next person in the line. Gotcha. And, but everybody might figure it out and get everything right. So, and that that's not needed. Okay. Hmm. Do do you Jeff? Do you have a question? I was going to ask how many days is the world shoot. Uh, the main match is six shooting days, but you shoot on five of those days. So you have a break day somewhere in between. It can be at the start, the middle, or the end. So you could shoot the first five and have the sixth day off, or you could shoot the first five, or have the first day off and shoot the final five days. Is it... But you shoot, uh, but you shoot five days in a row? No, you could shoot two days and then have okay. a day off and then shoot three days. So okay. Of those six days, someone is always on a break. Gotcha. So is it like six stages a day, or what is it? Yeah, it's six stages a day. Uh, nice. They they use IPSC format, so they have a one large stage, which is usually a 28 to 32 round field course. Two medium stages. I think that's anything above 12 but below 24. And then they have three short stages which are under 12 rounds, 12 or under. 
That's pretty cool how that works out. I think it's a really interesting format. And I think it there could be I think uh, I think there could be a um I think there could be a like a lively discussion within USPSA to incorporate it. That's what I was going to ask you. And I'm not sure that three two one makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of people are like one 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 and split it up that way, because you know us Americans, we love our round count, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's I don't know if you you heard what we uh, the video we did with Chad, but. I asked him, I said, you know, why does everything have to be 32 rounds? And it's that's just what we've gotten accustomed to here, it seems, that everybody, you drive and you go to a 12-stage match, and it's, you know, 220 rounds for 12 stages. It just, yeah, just we've kind of gotten accustomed to it. So, yeah, that'd be interesting yeah. to, to adjust it somehow because I, I think Jeff and I probably joke when we go to them and we're like, yep, every one of them's, you know, 28 or more. And it's like, doesn't have to be that to make it a good stage and, yeah. yeah, I think it's frustrating. I don't yeah. like when I see a 10, 10 stage match that's over three hundred rounds. I I dread it. Is that because forty's too too hard for you to shoot? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's just that is. I don't know. I just not enjoy that many field courses back to back to back. So yeah, yeah, I like I like some variety. Well, what if, Jeff, what if, and Matt, tell me what you think. What if instead you went to, like, Nationals and they threw in, like, eight classifiers? <laughs> Why would they do that? Yeah, my bad. <laughs> hey, speaking speaking along the lines of, like, rules and stuff, um, Matt, do you think we should have carry optics light and carry optics heavy here? I... So over the course of my shooting and time I've been in, they proposed as soon as so when I started, double action steel frame guns were not in use at all. It was Glock 34, Smith and Wesson M and P's. They ruled production like no one else had any market share. And there's just been a change over in the sport that people want to have a metal double-action, single-action gun. So, I don't know, and ever since that's kind of happened, I've heard rumors of like manufacturers wanting to get a polymer frame kind of division because they weren't happy about the steel frame double-action guns taking over. Uh, you always hear that in the background, like, oh, this company X is lobbying for it, or company, like this person X is lobbying for it to USPSA or anything. I can't put my hand, like, put my finger on it or whatever, but I think there's some definite... I don't know if we need another division without currently going over the current divisions and making sure they all make sense. Right. Like L10 is makes no sense. No at this sense. Point. None. There's no justification that. And if you say classifier count and activity fees, those people, if 
they were coming out just so they can win L10 and say they won the division with no one else competing in it. They might not show up, but anybody else that's just coming out to shoot, they're going to find where that gun can fit in somewhere. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it kind of makes sense that we should have a heavy and light because if we're awarding team slots for IPSC national or, or world shoots, then that, that I can understand that, but it doesn't make sense that like we don't need to split a division up into two based upon how heavy the gun is. I see both sides of that, but in my mind, a gun that's legal on the production list that you can shoot production that, and you can add four ounces to it, but the moment you decide to call it carry optics, you have to, before you even put the dot on it, it's overweight. Yeah. And, and um, that doesn't make sense to me. Now, I get somebody, I asked a certain person this question, and they said, well, that rule was in effect before the Shadow 2 came out. And I said, oh, well, that's great that you said that. What about the stock three? And then there was no answer. <laughs> so I, I don't. So I don't know what the limit, I don't know what the right answer is either. But weight limit and carry optics is I don't know. It's some artificial weight they put on there. It's literally only restricting two guns, and it's basically the two most popular guns in production that they're limiting. They're forcing people to, if they want to use those popular guns, which is proven in the production numbers, yes, they is. have to go out and spend hundreds of extra dollars to make their gun fit within the weight limit, the rules. Yeah. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The board has been totally not willing to listen to any conversation or any changes about it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been trying every year to bring it up. It gets brought up every year, and they choose not to change it at all. Wow. I'm I'm kind of over them. I I'm over asking them at this point because they don't really want to change. Do you think that that's because um, there's companies out there that probably contribute to the sport? that make money off of doing all this work to get these legal. Is that it? Or is it because maybe another company wanted to have the dominant gun in the division um, and their gun, they, they basically built their gun just to fit right in that. And they knew that ahead of time. And maybe I I hope that wouldn't be the case, but I actually don't think that's the case. I don't think any, any of the shops that are modifying guns are big enough lobbying in USPSA to make their voice heard on that. I don't think it's any other manufacturer that's doing it. I think they know the rules. Like They developed guns after the 45-ounce weight limit was put in place, and they developed the guns up to that limit. Yeah, which is smart which, on their part. Like, if we were redoing the Shadow 2 right now, I guarantee we'd make the Optic Ready version 44.5 or whatever minus base pad is. Because that's what the rules are. Yeah. So we wouldn't just develop a gun and then be like, oh, well, fix your weight limit because we came up with this new gun. Right. Manufacturers are thinking about the sport when they develop stuff like that. And pro- and I know, like, Phil Strader is product manager of SIG. He helped them come up with the Legion, 
And what they make it like forty four ounces or something, I think, with all the base pads. Something and like that. So they work right within the rules. It makes sense. People that are gonna shoot the sport wanna shoot it without having to do a bunch of modifications. Our gun was done before the rule, so Yeah. That does make sense. Mm. So anyways, it'd be interesting to see whatever happens. I mean the thing is, is it's it's hard for people to go, well, why won't they look at this? Why won't they talk about this? Why won't they make a address it or do it when we get people coming out with new slide stops that are gas pedals and those are made legal? Or we get a 2011 company that makes a uh, single stack grip and now that's legal even though it's a 2011. That one actually doesn't bother me, I don't think, so much because it seems like, well, it's using single stack mags. So Yeah, but why, why isn't a high point legal in it? It's a single stack. Yeah, I didn't know that. It, well, it has to be or a... Or the... Go ahead. Or the SIG gun that's a single stack also in 45. Like, it's not a single stack division. It's a 1911 division. They right. call single stack. Yeah. yeah. But the, I think I've heard... I, I was talking to somebody about this over the weekend. Uh, I guess it was yesterday, actually. And they said, well, it's a, it's, it, they have to be 1911 variants. Now, I don't know what the rule book actually says, the verbiage is. Uh, if it... If it does say 1911 variants, then you start going. And then when he said that, I go, well, is a 2011 a 1911 variant? I said, I don't know. Modular frame is not a 1911 variant. So if the 2011 is considered a variant, could the DWX? Like, it's a 1911. Interesting, right? Interesting. We just hit it right there. (laughs) Like, if they're going to open it up to that, why wouldn't... Well, it's not a single single stack. who says we couldn't do it? Yeah, you need to do it. I don't care what you got to <laughs> do. Put a, put a spacer in the mag or something where it's... it's <laughs> right. All we have to do is make the grips bigger and put a single stack mag in there. Dude. I don't think it'd be that hard. Hey, <laughs> yeah. I, I, wanna, I want some royalties or something. All right. Yeah, it's a good... Oh, it's a good I'll uh, pitch it to our new product development team, see what they say. I'll tell, them we'll, sell, I'll tell them we'll sell tens of them. You don't know, we'll sell like tens of them. Like we'll yeah. sell at least thirty-five of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How many team shooters do we need to have them? That's all we're gonna make. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of the DWX, are you gonna shoot uh, shoot it at all? I doubt it. Not gonna I, go with it. If I get a light slot, I'm gonna shoot a P10. If I get an individual slot, I'm probably gonna shoot Shadow Two in production. So I don't, I don't actually probably see shooting the DWX. We got other people that are probably going to shoot it. So, cool. Is there any chance we'll see one next uh, month in Old Fort? That you guys will bring one down? Uh, I'll bring one down so we have it there. Yeah. Cool. Sweet. Uh, we have two holsters for it also already. So, I think we'll probably, we'll definitely have shooting samples and everything. Yeah, we'll have one there for sure. Cool. We'll be able to shoot it after the match on Saturday if you guys want. That sounds good. Yes. Jeff, let's cut this out because the four people that listen to the podcast <laughs> may want to come over and shoot it too, and we want to hog it all to ourselves. Dude, I'll have all the ammo that people want to shoot. Even as better. Much, as much as you guys want to shoot. Hell yeah. All right. That sounds cool. Hey, uh, one more question and about the world shooting, and I'm going to let Jeff ask some questions. I've been talking a lot. So if you get a... Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't understand it, uh, the world shoot very well. Uh, if you get an individual slot, you're just competing for the with everyone else. You're just competing for the individual ranking. Um, 
Yes, yeah, but true. people that are on the team are also including for top person or, or individual. But so if like last world shoot, Ben won and was it production he won? Yes. And he was, but he was a team member and he won the high overall. So he was the Ipsic world champion, but the team members did it well enough that their score combined and they won the gold medal. Uh, that's how it works. Uh, okay. The production team actually took silver okay. to, uh, to Russia that year. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so Ben, so they do the points. So you get the points is your percentage of the match. So Ben got 100 points. And then the two other top people, so they take the top three out of the four scores. So okay. the best total score, I guess, would be, what, 100, and then the two places below that. And then Russia just had more more higher scores for their three people. So they took gold and U.S. took silver, but Ben is the current Ipsic world champion, yeah. Okay, so that's how it works. Yeah. Which makes sense, but okay. And that's across all divisions. They actually have categories also. So uh, each division can have a category, senior, junior, lady. Uh, I think that's it. They might have military or something like that. I you're, doubt it, though. You're talking about like it is a USPSA match where they'll have high senior. Yes, yes. Yeah. They have that in Ipsic also. It's, they're categories. They're different they're different than team slots. Do they have, but do they have team slots based upon things like that? I could have sworn Latham was on a, maybe it was just, he was on the classic, but, uh, or that I thought I saw a ladies production. Team. Yeah, they have, they have lady production. Uh, they're considered the same thing. They'll get gold medal. So the lady production team can win gold medal. The lady open team can win gold medal. The senior open team can win gold medals. All that's, and okay. then each cat like the high junior wins a gold medal. High senior like all that. So okay. individuals and teams both get medals. Gotcha. Well, cool. And it's every four years or three years. Every three years. Okay. Cool. Jeff. Yeah. You got anything? <laughs> yeah, I got some questions. I was writing them down. Okay, uh, let's see. So, Matt, you've been shooting a long time. We yes. we covered that. Uh, you were one of the first like well-known shooters that I saw shooting. It was at the Oklahoma sectional around 2016, I think. Yeah, Oklahoma City. Was that the back-to-back year I did where I went and shot in Texas before that? Hmm. I don't know. It might have been 2018. Yeah, I think it was a couple years before that. I was a C-class shooter at the time. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so you were one of the the first good shooters that I saw shoot. That was exciting. Thank you. Was I on your squad? No, you weren't. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I just I just like saw you shoot one stage. Fueled the fire, Matt. Fueled Did it? the fire. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so having shot as long as you have, do you find it difficult to stay motivated or uh, find something to to train on? Like 
what's your process each year for trying to improve, or are you just like in cruise control at this point? So, just recently, I've been in cruise cruise control kind of the last couple of years. I I haven't had like a set goal in mind. I've kind of just, I guess, just say been through the motions on it. But this year, I definitely have a goal. I have it written down. I have it figured out. And it depends on if I'm in the world shoot or not. But I have a goal for each of those. And this is kind of the first year I've kind of had one, wrote down, planned it out in the last couple. So I'm actually looking forward to this year more so than the previous years. Yeah. So you've got like your your big goal and then a bunch of sub goals that need to happen to make your big one happen kind of yep, deal. Exactly, yeah. Cool. Cool, cool. So what uh what does your training look like? Uh so right now pretty much not really doing hardly any training, kind of just getting ready for the year. But so, like, in the middle of the year when when I'm in full training mode or, like, I guess in the season. So, Monday, I guess I'll kind of lay out the typical week. Monday is usually a rest day. I don't really go to the range every Monday. Uh, that's rest and recover from matches and kind of get prep gear or anything or kind of get up, caught up at work because I'll have to spend some time if I'm gone like a Friday and get re-caught up at work. So I just don't really do a lot of training on Monday. Tuesday is an indoor match. Uh, if I'm not training at the indoor, I'll actually be outside practicing. Wednesday is a practice day and Thursday is a practice day. Friday is a rest day and usually a travel day for matches. If I'm not traveling that weekend, I'll kind of take that day off. And But Saturday and Sunday are definitely training days also. If I'm not at a match, I will be outside on the range training 100% of the time during the season. So it's basically a five-day-a-week training schedule. Right. So you don't have, like, set-aside dry fire days. You just, like, go to the range every day. Like, if you're going to train, it's going to be on the range. Yeah, exactly, yes. I, to be honest, I don't dry fire at all. I just go do live fire or shoot, okay. a ma- or shoot matches. Right. Hey, I heard a story. It was a long time ago. I always thought this was funny. So every time I hear you talk about that, I always think of this story. Uh, Ben's Ben's telling a story that you guys are in a hotel room and yep. it's at some match. You know, you know which one I'm talking about, right? I know which story you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> 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 and so like you're laying on the bed watching TV and and Ben's up there dry firing. He's like, "Hey, aren't you gonna dry fire?" And you kind of <laughs> just like point your head. And you're like, "I am." <laughs> <laughs> it's mental rehearsal, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually I told him that. I think that was at nationals one time in Pasa. <laughs> is when that was said and that was like the last match we had there was in 2015 so that was several years ago <laughs> yeah i think you i think you can do a lot with just visualization or yeah. mental rehearsal so yeah uh, i haven't 
like I have until recently, like within the last two years, done a sub second draw. Uh, I didn't think my draw was actually holding me back till the last couple years, but I've actually worked on that a little bit. And I have successfully hit a sub second draw multiple times in the same practice session. So, right. So if you think your sub second draw is going to be the next way for you to win a match, uh, I'm proof that that's not true. <laughs> yeah. So maybe practice something else in your dry fire other than standing and drawing. Yeah, you got ten draws, or uh, that's probably the least thing you do. <laughs> you do a I lot agree. of everything else. Yeah. So, what what would you say is the most important aspect of a stage? It's probably a hard question to answer. But you know, it, it kind of is. There's people out there that are that'll get out there on the uh, the gram and they'll post a draw that's you know point six, and they're like, ah, yeah, to a you know five yard target, and who knows what the hit is. But you're like, yeah, you probably should be tra- practicing transitions, yeah. right? You do you do. You do a lot more of those. So, I mean, as far as what would you think is the most important aspect? If you if you went down to like one single aspect, I'd say confidence in your your stage plan, and then bringing that confidence from that plan into your actual run. Like it's all different levels. So, uh, a guy that's never shot before coming out to shoot his first match is going to have a different confidence level going into the stage than say I am on the same stage. And we're going to be thinking about drastically different things. But if you carry like your stage plan, I know I'm going to shoot this steel and then this paper and this paper and this paper. And then you execute that, like you're confident in that no matter what your skill level is, that'll be the best. It's probably the number one thing. If you boil it down just to like one thing. Yeah, there's a no, lot that's... that goes into that though. Like, there's well, I mean, a ton what... of stuff that goes into it. Yeah, what do they say? Like, a well-executed plan is better than a poorly, you know, a, a well-executed poor plan is better than a, you know, whatever the saying is. But uh... <laughs> wisdom from 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 Jason Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever they say about that. <laughs> Home run, Jason. Home run. <laughs> No, I really liked what you were saying about uh, the visualization because I found myself to be a very visual learner. So in pretty much any sport, I can pick things up very quickly. And that's a huge part of it. It's like see a bunch of videos, say it's golf, watch a bunch of videos of someone swinging a golf club. Like once I know what that's supposed to look like in my head, you just play it over and over and over and then you go out and do it and you know what it's supposed to look like, and you just try to mimic it. Yeah, so, like, you're not going to be able to swing like Tiger Woods, though. Like, no. we're, we're being honest here. You're not going to be able to just pick up, like, watch someone swing golf club and then go hit it, like, as good as them. No. But you'll be able to go out there and swing a club and hit the ball. Yeah. It just... Yeah, it... It speeds up the learning curve, I guess, is what a good way to say it. Yeah, the, definitely. The visualization. The thing that can... took me, that the reason I actually do that is, like, there's stories about POWs from Vietnam. Like, all they did was visualize golfing for their entire time when they were the POWs in Vietnam. Then they get rescued, then they go play around the golf, and they shoot a better score than they ever have before. 
Well, they visualized that whole time, and they never visualized a bad swing, a bad hit, anything. So right. all that repetitiveness was all 100% correct, all was perfect, everything. So they didn't get any bad input in that yeah. or bad training scars. Yeah. I'm also betting that the mental stress that they went through made that that focus, like, quite a bit more intense. I'm not, but that had something to do with it. Well, I'm that, no, I haven't ever been in any situation like that, but yeah, yeah, I, that whole situation was probably pretty stressful. And, and when they went out and played golf, there's no way that that's going to re- be even remotely as stressful as what they had to put up with. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But, but still there is, it's documented that Lenny Basham talks about it. His examples, he had some where he was in the military and he had to, he couldn't shoot, but like, Four days, went to the range like four times in two years before he could go to like a Olympic or national championship. And of course, he won it. Um, I've heard it, and when I was in the military, and there's other things that you know you can read about that um, when you when you to learn something, if you not only do it but read it, or it's like learning information. If you read it, write it, and speak it, that's better than just reading it or just writing it or just speaking it. Hmm. It's yeah. three times. It's three times you went through the information. So, like, if you visualize it, then do it. That's better than just doing it or just visualizing it. And so then, it like, de- if you visualize it, do it, and then write it down how you did it, probably yeah. different or, level. Yeah. Or show somebody else it, it the, the same thing. See, this is something I've always wanted to ask Ben, and I'm going to ask him when he's out here in April. I want to ask him if he actually feels that training helps him because he's constantly, he's out there and he says, all right, guys, we're going to do the uh, distance change up. He explains what distance change up is. He explains what the goal of distance, uh, distance change up is. He then shoots distance change up. Then he watches other folks do it and then critiques them. Yeah. I always wondered if that kind of keeps him sharp. Um, and what he thinks about it, because, you know, you read some of these things. Um, I mean, I've just read a lot of articles or a lot of stuff over and over the years and, and I've heard it and talked about it, that, that whole, there's probably a name for it, but it's very interesting. So I, I believe it what you, with what you're saying, Matt, because obviously I've I mean, I've seen you shoot and it's not holding you back. So, and you, you have to start with a base. So you can't just like go out and be like, I'm going to be a grandmaster by just visualizing. You have to like know how to hold the gun and all that. So you build a base up, and then you can improve off of that base. Like, I think you can do it all a lot in your mind once you have a certain like a certain number of reps, and like you know the correct way of doing it. Yeah. Nice. Matt, like what do you it. think about Jeff? Jeff, Jeff, and um, Jeremy. Jeremy introduced Jeff to something this last uh, national single stack nationals, and before Jeremy said he or uh, Jeff would probably was like me where he would would do a walkthrough on a stage and then pretty much until it was his time up, he was mentally rehearsing it, visualizing it while he was, um, while other shooters were shooting. Um, Jeremy basically said he doesn't really do that. He kind of walks through the stage with everybody, gets it down, thinks about it a time or two. And then he kind of quits thinking about it and kind of sidetracks his mind or takes, uh, or thinks about other stuff to, so he doesn't stress out about it. And then when he gets in, in the hole, he may start thinking about it a little bit again. Um, what, what is your process for stage walkthrough and then mental mentalization or visualization of the stage? I think you have to visualize it enough. So spend your entire walkthrough time 
making sure you have the right plan, burning that into memory. I think you then need to visualize it enough that you know it like down pat. And if you're like early in the order, you might not have any time to forget about it and yeah. like like yeah. take your mind somewhere else. But if you're like the last shooter, uh, I think you can definitely over visualize something and start introducing like what ifs in there, which yeah. causes issues. So if mm-hmm. I'm like the last shooter, I'll definitely do. I might not even do a full walkthrough on it, but as soon as I know, like, this is a plan, this is what I'm going to do, if that's all the walkthrough time or not, like, I will stop, and then I'll visualize it, make sure I have it down pat, but I won't keep doing it over and over and over and over. That induces some stress into me when I that I've noticed on it. But then, like, once I'm, like, in the hole or in the deep hole, I'll start doing it again. Yeah. Like, just maybe like one time or like halfway through the order, like visualize it again, make sure you got it. Yeah. So that, that's pretty much what, what Jeremy does and what I did for the second two days of nationals. That's yeah. uh yeah. Cause before that, like for the rest of the year, uh, most of the year, 2019, it was like, I would visualize it probably like three times every time somebody was shooting. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, it was just at the the end of the match. It I induced a lot of uh, mental errors somehow. I think it was just over stressing, and yeah. maybe maybe like what you were saying, uh, inducing what ifs. Yeah. It was like, oh well, what if this happens? And then you think about that what if so much that the what if actually happens. Yeah, exactly. That's a classic thing. Is like you're watching a shooter shoot a stage and. I guess the easiest way to say, like, they reload after the first position, but you're shooting, like, a high-cap gun, and you don't have to, but you saw him do it. And you go, oh, shit, don't do that, don't do that. Yeah, and then you end up doing it just by proxy because you watched him do it. That happens a lot. One thing that I've noticed is, like, the day before a match or whatever, so I used to kind of, like, get all my plans and, like, burn them in and try to visualize everything. Yeah. Uh, that induced a lot of stress, like going into the first day, first stage. So, like, I go get my plans, make sure I'm not missing anything, and then like do some visualization, but don't go crazy with it. Yeah. Because that just keeps amping the stress up and up and up, and you, it's all self-induced yeah. stress, though. Like, yeah. And I think that's one of the things you gotta kind of minimize. When you get further into the sport, more time you put in and everything. So, like, you're putting your own stress on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that much visualization at a club match, you know? Yeah. And I, wouldn't, I wasn't making those mental errors at a club match. So, yeah, there was just something else that made me want to try. Uh, now, obviously, yeah, if you come up and you do the walkthrough and then you're the third shooter, you know, you don't, you don't have time to not visualize it pretty much. But yeah. Yeah. If you've got like six shooters before you, something you also got to be careful and going too much in the other direction where you're like, Oh, I got this. I I walked it one time and I like visualized it once. I'm good. Like there's a certain spot where you got to get, you can either go too much or too little. You got to kind of figure it out. And it's stage dependent, right? It's absolutely stage dependent. Like if 
El Prez's and Nationals, like, yeah, we've all ran El Prez enough where we don't need to go in there and visualize it a hundred times before we shoot it. That's yeah. going to put so much stress on that stage. And, and then you're like inducing, what do I run this in practice? I got, I should be able to do that at nationals. And yeah, that's a lot of stress you put on yourself when yeah, it is. you can literally just go up there and it could be a blind stage. And if it was El Prez, you'd probably do better than if you knew like it was El Prez, like during the walkthrough or whatever. Like in the, yeah. in the start box, they were like, okay, you're going to shoot El Prez versus like, oh, we have El Prez and Nationals. So now you're going to go shoot in practice and everything. Like, I think it, I think it would be interesting to see something like that, but we'll really never know. Hey, um, so another thing I heard you say years ago, um, it might it's a couple years ago at least. Um, you said after you made GM, you started hundoing classifiers a lot more frequently than you did before you made GM. Do you remember saying that, or do you remember that at all? I know my classifier performance increased after getting the G card. Yeah, it, mine has as well. It it's a lot of stress that is taken off after you get it. Yeah, and so. Go ahead. I don't know. I it's well. So I want to ask something along those lines. So um, would you say that like if you if you go up to a stage and you know it, like everything, it always depends and it depends on so many things. But that if you stress about it and you try to do it like super hard. But you, because you think you have to. Let's talk about speed. You know, you think you have to do this to get the speed. You have to move as fast and as tensed up as you possibly can. But then, if you if you sit there and go, okay, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna waste a second of time here, and I'm gonna move as fast as I can. But I'm not gonna be tensed up about it. And tensed is the word I'm using. It's probably the best word. But um, you find that you're actually faster or just as fast, but you have less errors. So like we were talking about, you know, if you were sitting there stressing about El Perez and you think, Oh my God, I've done this so many times in practice. Now I've got to do it at nationals where if you were able just to go, look, I'm just going to do everything and I'm, I'm going to be disciplined and uh, I'm going to be disciplined with my sight picture and I'm going to be disciplined with the mag release. I'm going to be disciplined with getting the mag into the gun versus I got to do everything. I'm so fast and tense up. You you end up doing it better. Would you, wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. It's hard to do that sometimes. It's hard to fight that urge of, uh, uh, I guess, the sense of urgency, but and that sometimes creates tension. And I'm talking about something that I just I would love to get a hold on and, and be able to master. But um, I don't know if anybody ever gets to that point where they completely are the, the cool as a cucumber type. But man, it's there's so many things like that where if you just um, kind of right. went out there and did it, you'd, you'd probably do better. If you then, then if you really, it's not that you you don't try and you don't get out there and amp yourself up and, um, but you have to find that that line to where that that zone that you know where you're in that you're in the you're in the good part of it or whatever. Yeah, and some I mean match stress can increase like your performance also. Like there's some yeah. benefits to it. Like you can't just say it's all negative. Right. I think the super squad effect is a hundred percent true people rise to that level yeah a hundred percent that's the only reason jeremy beat me at nationals you know oh i'm sure sure. (laughs) (laughs) so 
go. Would you explain that a little bit more? So super squad effect is. So like you, if you're on the super squad, like those are the the winner of the matches, pretty yeah. much going to come from that squad. And you can tell how you're doing versus them, even if you're not actively like seeking it out. You can be like, "I'm hanging with them." Yeah, exactly. And and if you're not, your performance I think will increase. Yeah. During that, or I'm I'm sure that's not always the case. Like it could decrease also. Like if you're, it just depends. But I think what? the super squad effect helps the shooters on that squad like their performance increases because they're on that squad yes yeah or the fact that they're seeing whoever do that th- like that dude ran that in 15 seconds i'm just as good as them i can run that in 15 seconds right. like it's yeah. just subconsciously known to them yeah that and you also go i wouldn't have ran that st- in my walk through the day before i wasn't going to run the stage this way this is way better you know most likely the super squad is going to come out with the best way to run a stage there may be multiple variants in it but nobody's going to they're probably between the the 12 people that are on that squad there's probably going to be two different maybe two different ways maybe three and there's small probably variants of how to run it but that's probably going to be the best ways you're going to see the best ways to run a stage watching those yeah. guys right yeah, and, and uh, then later, like even later in the matches, like everybody's talked to everybody. They know the the mover sequences out, no matter what. Yeah, and someone has told someone on the squad, and then I've not seen on like on Super Squad where people are like hiding information or like intentionally sandbagging guys or sandbagging or telling people the wrong thing. Yeah, even though Tim Meyer says I did. <laughs> I f- he says you I f- came. You gave somebody a bogus plan. Yeah, Tim says <laughs> I gave him a bogus plan. <laughs> but uh, I, I feel worse if like I give somebody a plan and they run it, and after seeing it ran, you're like, oh, that is not the right choice. Mm. Like I've actually ran that same plan even after figuring that out, just because I didn't want to be the guy that like gave the plan and it was bad. And, like, it could yeah. be thought that I was, like, trying to sabotage them or something. That sucks. Yeah, it's it. I feel way worse than you do. Just just know that if that ever happened. Yeah. I'm not trying to intentionally, like, mislead you on something like that. All right, well, cool. Jeff, you got anything else? Uh, I got one more question. All right. It's kind of a an ending remarks question, so... If you don't have anything else, we can finish up with this one. Yeah, I'm good. Do you have any topics you want to discuss, Matt? No, I think this is really good. Cool. All right, so do you have any, like, long-term shooting aspirations or goals? Like, do you want to be the head of the Axe Divisions Revolution? Or (laughs) do do you want to be El Prez? Do you have any long-term competition goals? Uh, I don't know if I... I definitely have some goals set for this year. I'm not really comfortable talking about them right now. Yeah. Uh, I've definitely thought about what my future in this sport would be. I'm not 100% sure on what that would be. But I think I'm open to about anything right now. Cool. So... Oh, I guess you can 
take that where you want, but yeah. you and uh, I'm not ruling out anything. You and Joe Park be battling it out for El Perez one day. Yeah. I'll be Joel's vice president. How about that? There you go. <laughs> hey, I do have one more question. I've asked everybody else I've had on the show. We've had on the show this question. Do you think natural talent's a real thing? No, not at all. It doesn't make any sense. See? <laughs> Matt is so smart. They didn't they didn't have guns like even 200 no, 3 uh, whenever guns were made. So, like, firing a gun in a stage of, fire, like, a course of fire is 100% unnatural. Now, if someone had higher than normal hand-eye coordination or... I, this is a post a long, long time ago that if my skull is thicker than the average person and I can take the concussion of gunfire or something, no one's looked at anything like that, but... Firing a handgun during a USPSA course fire is 100% not natural. And the 30 or 50 years that we've been shooting guns in action pistol has not been long enough for the human to uh, evolve to make be better at it. Now, if we did this for 100,000 years, there's probably some science that would determine that. But how do Ben and Max and JJ and Christian, how are those guys so... Christian's actually a really good example. How is he... Oh, oh. Lots of work. It is. Lots of work. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who's the the natural and who's the not on this? Hey, no. You can't reveal it. You can't reveal. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, we reveal it. We talk about it. I don't think you guys have actually answered that though. No, we I think have you've asked everybody. Have you? So Jared and I and 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 uh, you are the ones that have thought that natural talent is not a thing. It doesn't exist. Like, but Jeremy and Jeff, uh, J- uh, whatever his name is, Jeff, Jeremy and Jeff and Alex thought natural talent is a thing. I think. And Chad. And Chad too. I don't. I, I don't see it at all. I think it's just people two people define it differently. And I but can't remember what Alexis said. He said and no. I, he he didn't think it was a thing. And and you know what? I'm glad I because I remember asking because he was a he was a collegiate athlete. So yeah, so yeah. There you go, man. What better person to ask? I think I remember some of his examples because he was talking about how some he said I think he said nobody worked harder than him and or whatever. But at least I think that's what he said. But anyways, I think it comes down to work. Like, and of course, it's going to take some people more work than others. You can't say it's, you go out and do this and this and this at this time and this amount of reps and you're going to be a GM. Yeah. Like, it could take somebody one year to do it or 100,000 hours of work. Like, but if somebody put 100,000 hours of work in one year, I don't think that adds up, but... Right. You, you guys kind of get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the 10,000 hour rule is out there. It. I don't know if that's true or not, especially in our sport. I think our sport is so new and not evolved enough because there's not enough money in it. Like, there's not people like no. making hundreds of thousands, like, like basketball. Like, that's probably figured out. Yeah. 
Hell, there's bowling. enough money for people. Yeah, bowling, basketball, golf, golf is for sure. Damn sure, yeah. Okay, I mean, all right. All right, you've taken it this far. I'll go ahead and ask one question. <laughs> all right. All right, so you got two people both, <laughs> coming, both coming into the sport at the same time. Yeah. Relatively uh, similar backgrounds, okay? Yep. They both put in 100,000 hours. And one of them's way better than the other one. Like, what what would you attribute that to? Gear. Gear. <laughs> one shoot a shadow one, to he, one shoot yeah. a mechanic. Yo, you had oh. to go there. <laughs> no, I mean, it's perfect. We can end with that, yeah. <laughs> we can end with that one. No, it's bullet weight. It's obviously bullet weight. Yeah. One had one was shooting one fifteens and had more pressure on their hands during recoil, and one right. was shooting one forty sevens. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good like. That's a very good question, and I think it has to come down to the DNA of the person. Like, yeah, one could have a better, like, a thicker skull. One could have more hand-eye coordination, whatever that is. So there is some. So that's what these guys are thinking, though, is natural. Right. But those people put 100,000 hours in. What is, did one win nationals, one a second? Like, if you put that much time in, that's a ton of hard work. You're going to be up there. Yeah, I would say. Maybe one was just a little more fortunate that they had a job where they can get off whenever and competed in more matches. And so they have some more match experience. Yeah, what I'll say this. And I always try to get in there and make my point at the end, and it never happens. But I'll do it again. <laughs> I think I think that you know it's there's a lot more on the surface that people are below the surface that people don't see. So you take and I'm just going to use like kids. You got a a group of kids, and one kid shows up, and he's significantly better at soccer. And I'm just throwing out soccer than the other kids, and none of them have ever played. Well, and then it's like, well, he's got natural talent. He's naturally talented at this, but Maybe his parents or he had older brothers that played football or played baseball or they just roughhoused around the house. So they got good at running and and just being athletic where the other kids maybe didn't or only siblings and they didn't roughhouse and play. That's just one small example that some that came to my mind. But I think there's a lot of stuff like that um, that that people don't see. And that's not natural talent. That's just they have more experience. That's their their environment shaping them. Yes. Yes. Or maybe one – so if one had a dog and played fetch with the dog, so they threw the ball yep. like a thousand times with the dog, they're going to have a better throwing skill at throwing the ball than if they went and played baseball than the yeah. kid that never threw a ball before. I, I do Even not disagree. Even if it was disagree. just fetch with the dog. So like, I don't disagree that that can happen at all. But I do believe – that some I, people are better at things naturally than other people. The real way okay. to test that would be with twins, right? Twins out of the same family and the same way they grew up, right? Well, you kind of yeah. hear stories about twins. One of them will be like a better at school or better at playing you know, a sport or a mu- uh, an instrument. But you don't know what's going on in those people and how motivated they are, um, how just interactive they are with it. I mean – Take this sport. When you, I, I would think all three of us, when once we got bit, we went all in, and we probably did some things that a lot of people didn't do. We started seek, search, seeking and searching for everything we could 
involving this sport. I, podcast, well, maybe not, yeah. but podcast. No, books. 100%. Yeah. I used it, to it, break down stages from shooting videos and be like, why did that person do that on this stage? Then, they, like, you would have to see multiple people run the same stage or watch the stage run like a bunch of times. And I was like, well, why did that person do this when he could have came in and did the stage this other way? Yeah. Like, see, I don't know of anybody else that has done that. Like, why did that example. person break that stage down that way? And then, like, if you watch your video 50 times, you're like, well, they could have ran to the left first and then shot it this way, but they decided to run to the right. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm saying. A lot of people get, they get bit just as much as us, but yep. they don't go home and start thinking about it. They're not, you know, they're not sitting there going, okay, you know, watching the videos and finding the podcast and getting on the forums and certain seats and searching this stuff out. And, and man, you know, at my job, I know what day, what podcast is coming out and I get to work and it, my earbuds are in and I'm listening to that podcast. Uh, there's a yep. couple of, there's only a few of them. I listen to Ben's, uh, Joel and Cody's and then well I guess and I, I listen to Make Ready but uh, and then, you only uh, have to do that like four times a year though right exactly exactly so <laughs> um, but you know what I'm saying and there's there's and people aren't doing that not only that Jeff so you get a guy that shows up to USPSA and uh, I'll use myself it wasn't USPSA but the first match I ever showed up to was an IDPA match and I just told myself I said you know I knew how to shoot the gun really well I said just when the when the site's where it needs to be, pull the trigger. That's all you that's your goal for the entire match. I won the match, but people thought I was sandbagging. They're like, they never I said, Well, you've never seen me before. I'm not sandbagging. You would know me. I live here. Um, but you take someone that know, that take that, but then you take someone who knows how to play an instrument. Well, they know how to structure practice and how to get better at it. They know how to do uh, drills or ski or you know scales for you know i play the guitar and so they know how to get better at an instrument and then you say well they apply that to shooting and these and there may be somebody else that has never learned a skill that they had to actually go through a regiment to kind of build on they just like you know like for instance driving the car well everybody just gets better at driving the car the more you drive the car not true but well not true you're right but <laughs> but matt matt's saying women do not get better I did not say that. <laughs> You're not going to put those words in my mouth. No, no, even no. Though no. they might be true. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. But so if you if you've gotten better at something before from a like I said structured plan, that's going to help you too. And so what you what I'm saying is, Jeff, you don't know what that person was going was was going on. Is there an instance that somebody has completely a vegetable for their entire life, woke up one day and picked up a basketball and started sinking? Free throws, maybe. There's probably enough people in the world that statistically that would have to happen. But I don't think it's uh, – That's hard to believe. Well, I'm just being silly. All right. All right, Jason. Maybe they saw it on TV for the last – That's another thing I told him. That's another thing I've told him. I said, you know, you sit there and see people do it. Or, you know, they talk about music. I'm like, well, maybe they grew up with someone that loved music and constantly played music. So – that's going to be better than someone that never heard music very much. Yeah, no, that's so, true. I just schooled Jeff. Have you convinced yourself yet? Drop the mic. I know I know. you really <laughs> want to believe in natural talent. You just keep trying to convince yourself it's not a thing. Whatever. 
Oh, bad. All right. Well, time to pinch it off. Yeah. Thank you for your input on the subject, Matt. No problem. This was fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. All right, everybody. Uh, go check out the Facebook page. Um, leave us a topic. And we'll see y'all later. Oh, stop recording, damn it.